to It's Not About the Bunny, a podcast about Twin Peaks. I'm Caroline. And I'm Brian. And we are going to discuss, which episodes are these? 16 and 17 of yes. season two. That's right. And these episodes were much better. Yeah, God, what a relief. <laughs> yes, uh, episode 16 in particular, I really enjoyed. Yeah, it was really a return to form, I think. Uh, it may be because Leslie Linka-Glotter was the director for mm-hmm. that one. And I don't know. I think she just really got it. She just really understood what the show was, what it was about, and what made it work. I agree. Yeah, in the last episode of our podcast, I talked about the taste of Twin Peaks, the unique flavor, mm-hmm. and she really gets it. This yes. was the first episode in a while that felt like Twin Peaks. Yeah, I agree with that. And even though it isn't quite the same as it was when Lynch and Frost were fully in control, it still, yeah, it still really feels like the old show is back in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this uh, in an alternate universe, Twin Peaks would have continued on like this. Mm-hmm. If it hadn't been canceled. Um, it could have gone on as this kind of show. Yeah. Uh, where it's a little more character-based, mm-hmm. um, but you it, you still have the supernatural elements sure. hanging out in the background, and they come to the foreground every now and then, like they do at the end of this episode. Yes. Just to tantalize you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, you know, it, it doesn't have the same urgency as the initial mystery of who killed Laura Palmer. Sure. But this, you know, this is like, uh, it's like pizza, you know, Yeah. whether it's uh, fancy pizza or pizza hut, it's still pizza. It still tastes good to me. <laughs> right. But I do think that one of the things that makes this episode 16 successful is that, that, older mystery of Lara and Bob um, hasn't been fully forgotten. Lara mm-hmm. gets her first mention in a while. Um, and of course, Bob comes back mm-hmm. at the end. Um, and so you do get the feeling that all of this is connected, even if you can't see the explicit ways it is. Bob really is still out there and he's still drawn to the same kinds of pain and suffering as he was before. Yes. Well, we'll get to that. Right. So let's dive into episode 16. Yes. Uh, as we said, directed by Leslie Linka Gladder, and uh, she does a terrific job. She's really good at, um, I guess, emulating David Lynch's style mm. from the pilot. Yes. But also adding her own uh, her own particular uh, talents. Mm-hmm. Um, so on the one hand, um, you had a lot of characteristic Twin Peaks type um, shots and editing. Sure. I'm trying to think of, I just, yeah, like, um, oh, one thing that I noticed, mm-hmm. you know, that you have the, uh, that musical theme, uh, is it, I guess it's Laura's theme. Yes. That sort of, builds up and builds up and and kind of reaches a climax and mm-hmm. it comes down and then it changes to an ominous chord yes and she uses that change to as a a, a cut point mm-hmm. an editing point she cuts to the next scene mm-hmm. so that the scene changes and you hear that ominous tone yes and it, it's changing the mood yes 
And that's something that we saw a lot in the first season. Mm -hmm. We haven't seen it in a while. And it's just one of those little things that makes the show feel like Twin Peaks. Mm -hmm. I agree. Um, But on the other hand, she also uh, brings a lot to it that David Lynch doesn't bring. Mm -hmm. Like the way that she moves the camera. It's very balletic. Yeah. I mean, uh, well, she's always paying attention to uh, and using blocking, having the characters move within the frame Mm -hmm. and using that to create visual interest, to create rhythm. Yeah. But more so than that, she has the camera moving along with uh, the actors. Right. And those movements. uh, Yeah. That's, I mean, we said she had a background in choreography Mm -hmm. and uh, there are some, some nice, uh, nice movements that she makes here. Yes. Uh, and we'll get to the details. Um, but first, let's talk about, let's dive into the main storyline. And this is a pretty focused episode. Yes. It's, uh, I mean, there are the some of the smaller threads get picked up here as well. But this is really focused on Josie. Yeah. Apparently, I, I learned on Film School Rejects. Mm-hmm. Um, Joan Chin had asked to be Yes, off of that the was show. my understanding. And they obliged, and she wanted to focus on movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, she has a really interesting career. Mm-hmm. Maybe one day we'll, ha- we'll dive into her career. Yeah, that would be a fun thing to do. Um, but yeah, she, she wanted to move on. So they kind of fast forward. They do a speed run through this. Yes. But, I'll, I'll, you know, I didn't think it seemed especially rushed because no, so many I don't of the pieces so. had been set up already. I, yes. You knew that it was coming. That, yeah. That um, because Eckert was there, Andrew Packard was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even in the last episode, episode 15, mm-hmm. um, they had already... Uh, determined that Josie had shot Cooper. Right. So the walls are closing in. We know that this is coming to a head. Yes. And Josie is, um, and this is not to discount from any complexity that the character has, but Josie is more of a type of character than I think anyone else on the show Mm -hmm. in that she is very much the film noir woman in trouble and always has been. She's kind of a femme fatale but she's vulnerable she um causes trouble but trouble seems to be attracted to her um you know she's like barbara stanwick in in um double indemnity or something Mm. um and there's really only one way the characters like that end up yeah you know those films yeah yeah Yep, pretty much. So nothing here is too surprising. Um, although we open the episode with Pete, Catherine, and Andrew Packard mm-hmm. as one big happy family. Yeah, isn't that interesting how much Andrew and Pete seem to get a kick out of each other? Yes, uh, Pete serves up a big breakfast on a plate that's mm-hmm. arranged to look like a smiley face. Yes, which Andrew loves. <laughs> and that... That seemed more like uh, Twin Peaks humor mm-hmm. than what we've had in the past. Yes, it's food-based, for one thing. <laughs> yeah, but I, I don't know. It's just kind of this weird, these weird odd things that conceivably 
you could, you know, you might know someone in real life that gets a kick out of yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. What I liked about serving that scene, you a breakfast that has a face. Sure, and what I liked about that scene is what I think the show did best with its odd humor when it did is that it's not just that it's weird; it's that you get a sense of a whole history between these three characters in yeah. the scene that is creating this weirdness and the reason it's so odd to you is because this is the only glimpse you're getting of it. Yeah. Um, it's weird in the, this sounds odd to say, but it's weird in the way that real people are weird. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's not just for nothing. It's very much grounded in the fact that these are all people who knew each other for years and probably had like established patterns and like little in jokes and things that, you know, drove one of them crazy mm -hmm. like it's not just that pete made a smiley face in the breakfast and andrew thought it was hilarious it's that this probably happened a million times and it always annoyed Catherine. yeah 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 and it's kind of surprising that they get along so well because uh i think i I, I expected that Andrew would be the interloper mm -hmm. uh, and that because he is some kind of um, schemer mm -hmm. uh, that he and Catherine would get along really well. Sure. And Pete would just be there, you know, to to uh, do the dishes, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, but actually, yeah. Uh, Pete and Andrew get along really well, and, Ka yeah. and and Catherine is kind of annoyed. Right, and I think what's very interesting about the Pete and Catherine dynamic in the second season, especially that carries through in this episode, is that you would get the impression from the first season that Pete is just kind of a patsy, that he has no idea what his wife is doing. He's not involved in it. He's being cuckolded by her. He... Um, is just somebody who's used for what he can do for her and that's it. But I think what we've seen since Catherine returned is that Pete maybe always has been a more active participant in her shit. Yeah. Um, not exactly a partner in crime. A lot of it is maybe on a need to know basis, but I think what's very clear is that there's a very big part of Pete that really loves that Catherine is like this and mm. is fine with it. Yeah. Pete doesn't seem to have much of a crisis of conscience of like, what will this mean for Josie that Andrew That's is true. back? That's true, yeah. Um, and he feels bad for her. He feels bad for her, but he doesn't really make any effort to protect her or, no. um, or shield her from anybody who wants to hurt her. Yeah. 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 Well, speaking of which, uh, the feds are on to her. Yes. And we already knew this, but mm. now uh, Albert's done the the testing. Yes, and it seems like the old Albert is back. The old Albert is back. Thank God. Yeah, I don't know what happened last time. <laughs> if he uh, dropped some ecstasy or what, yeah. but <laughs> yeah, it wore off. Uh huh. Um, yeah, but he's uh, very focused mm -hmm. on doing his job. Yeah, and he doesn't want personal feelings to get in the way. Yes. Which is, you know, the correct attitude. He's very professional. Mm -hmm. um, but Cooper wants to talk to Josie himself and see if maybe she'll confess. Mm -hmm. uh, to which Albert says something like maybe she'll grow wings and fly. Right, right. 
It's interesting. Do you think Albert is a misogynist? I don't know. Yeah. Or do you think that's even a useful question? Because he doesn't think that she's going to confess? Well, because he doesn't really know anything about Josie, but he seems to have a very rigid idea of who she is and what she's going to do. And it's a fairly derogatory one. Um, And maybe that's just how he thinks of all criminals. Well, Cooper has the same attitude. That's true. That's true. And yeah, I think it's more, it it reflects more their role Mm -hmm. in the FBI than anything else. True enough. I guess. I mean, um, I haven't really thought it, thought about it that deeply. Yeah. I don't know. I, um, I guess my hackles are always up as a feminist whenever a male character calls a female character a bitch. I always think that's... Oh, yeah, he did say that. I don't know. I don't want to make too much of it. It's a Mm. word that people use. I don't think everybody who uses that word is a misogynist. Um, But it's the way it's used, the kind of way he spits it out. Mm Mm-hmm. Why is Albert so angry at Josie? I guess just because she shot Cooper. Yes. But why? He seems to be taking it personally. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's because she shot Cooper. Yeah. Well, you said you wanted me and Albert back. That's true. <laughs> that's true. Um, He's more fun to you watch. You wanted him to be mean, uh, mean to Harry. I wanted him to be mean <laughs> to Harry. <laughs> Yeah, no, this, yeah, there was a bit of an edge to that. Um, yeah, and then you wonder, was that intentional? Were the writers? Um, it is interesting, The because there are some things that Cooper says about Josie. Yes. In the next episode, that make me wonder, how sympathetic are we supposed to feel? Because I always I assume know. pretty sympathetic. I, I feel very sympathetic to her. And that's why I think a lot of this is something we should think about in this episode, because what we see, we see Josie being spoken about or interacting with many characters in this episode, but nobody is really caring for her Yes. or trying to help her Yeah. Uh, without their own agenda. You know, this is where, like, all of the chess metaphors actually bear fruit. Josie is is a pawn here. You mm-hmm. might think of her as a femme fatale or whatever, but she's somebody who is pretty much used by other people for their own purposes throughout. Yeah. And that includes Cooper and Albert. Really, the only person who doesn't really do that is Harry, but Harry is still somebody who... You know, when he went to see Josie in a previous episode and knew she was in trouble, just started having sex with her yeah. instead of actually trying to help her. And I think that is kind of pointed and significant. Nobody, nobody is looking out for Josie. Right. And that's that's why Bob shows up. Yeah. But on the other hand, we can assume based on things that we see her do. And mm-hmm. she's very intelligent yes. and very good at manipulating people. Sure. And that, well, let's say this. It, it seems like it's a bit ambiguous mm-hmm. how uh, much she was used and how much she was using at various points. Yeah. Probably, it, it kind of seems like by the time we get 
by the time the show starts, mm -hmm. she's sort of played all of her cards. Yes. And is, we only really see her reacting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we, you know, um, we do know, or it's implied, that she had a hand in the attempted murder of Andrew. Mm hmm. And, uh, you know, while to some extent she was used by Eckerd, mm -hmm. um, we don't really, we never really see their working relationship. And we, it's unclear to what, to what extent they were just partners in crime. Sure. But, you know, there's also, but that's also the femme fatale thing. Like yes. The, and I think that it's, they're ambiguous figures. It's ambiguous, but it's also the question of, <sighs> How much was it even possible for her to gain control of that relationship, considering yeah. how it started? Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's. It feels like we're kind of being torn in different directions mm -hmm. because that backstory, to me, seems intentionally written to make us think of Laura. Absolutely. Yeah. One hundred percent. You know. Mm -hmm. Um. So maybe this was like one direction that Laura might have gone in. Sure. Yeah. And that that paints her in a sympathetic light. Mm -hmm. um, and that's generally how I see her. Yeah. But then other characters don't. And Cooper doesn't. And Cooper is often, well, we often say that he is there to guide the audience or that yeah. he reflects almost the voice of the show. But that's... that. Maybe we're not giving the writers enough credit, right? And at I think writing like a complex show where even like the good, the hero mm -hmm. is not necessarily um, his perspective is not the truth is not the one final truth. Yes, yes, and I think it's <sighs> something that has been very consistent in Cooper is that he is. I think a loving and loyal person and that causes him to be a little myopic. Um, I mean, it's, it's the same tendency that causes him to be completely accepting of Denise and Denise's changes means that really all he's focused on, I think in the situation with Josie is Harry and the yeah. pain that she is causing Harry. Yeah. Right. Uh, well, at any rate, they are closing in. Yes. And in the meantime, Eckert wants a meeting mm -hmm. with Josie. Yes. And Catherine and Andrew yes. are going to hand her over. Right. And their motives are also ambiguous. Yeah, it's interesting. I like, I like Piper Laurie's performance in this episode because I think it is comparatively less hammy than she often is but um yes and there's a moment there is a moment when she's talking to Josie mm -hmm. where you can see her mask slip a little yes and see that she actually does feel bad for Josie mm -hmm. she's not completely heartless no and um, I think we've seen that before but she is using Josie mm -hmm. now she's not she it turns out yeah she's not going to hand Josie over no she wants Josie to take care yes. of Eckhart for her. Yes, yes. So she reveals the gun hidden in the in the library. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and that so that's her game, right? But there's also it brings it back to the fact that Josie is the pawn. Like she, um, oh totally. Catherine doesn't <clears throat> want Josie to die because she thinks Josie is her pawn. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you sacrifice the pawn in order to get a bigger piece. Yeah, I mean that's you know, <laughs> Catherine is it like trying to say you know she could say okay come on we're going to get out, get out of here we're gonna mm-hmm. get you away from yeah. this problem yeah hide, you, you're gonna hide out for a while sure um and we'll deal with Eckerd. Mm-hmm. yeah they're, they're using her as bait yes yes um yeah and that's why it, it really is hard even if uh whatever power josie may have had in the past mm-hmm. at this point it, it's really hard to see her as a criminal mastermind right she really is um she's she's cornered mm-hmm. yeah and it's you know it's important the only the only clothing the only costumes we see josie in in this episode are the little maid's outfit yeah. and then her nightgown it really emphasizes her vulnerability mm-hmm. she looks so young throughout most of this episode yeah yeah um so Catherine wants Josie to kill Eckhart, mm-hmm. but Andrew has his own game. Yes. There's a long scene between Andrew and Josie, mm-hmm. uh, which is um, yeah, difficult to watch. Josie is sort of abject, Yeah. Um, begging for forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Andrew says, look, it's all water under the bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, but he reveals to her that the police are coming for her. Yes. And what he poses is this, um, basically two choices. Mm -hmm. She can go to Eckhart Mm -hmm. and be his woman again Mm -hmm. and leave the country and be free. Yeah. Free, not in prison. Right. Uh, Or she uh, can stay here and mm-hmm. go to prison mm-hmm. and be free of Eckerd. Yeah. And that's a tough choice, you know. Yeah. So, but Andrew is not revealing all of his cards. Yes. Because he uh, he finds Eckerd at the Great Northern mm-hmm. and they... Uh, you know, they have a little bit of a ham off. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is uh, which is enjoyable to watch. Um, but yeah, Andrew is actually betraying Josie. Yeah. And he's at cross purposes with Catherine. Mm-hmm. He's forewarning Eckert yes. that Josie may be out for blood. Come to think of it, Eckerd must have already known that. Yeah, I think Andrew and Catherine, they <clears throat> just want Josie and Eckerd to take each other out, yeah, and they don't right. really care who goes first. Yeah. No, that's true. Maybe they're not at cross purposes, but maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, maybe they're working together. Um, well, and Andrew also lies and says that Josie didn't actually try to kill him. Yeah. I think it's a lie. It's a little unclear what happened. It is a little unclear. I mean, in their conversation earlier, Josie 
it's sort of implied that yeah. she was involved, but then she got cold feet at the last minute and she tried to stop it. Yeah. Um, I think either is really believable. I think Josie Josie is a cornered animal in this episode in a lot of ways. And I think in basically every scene she's in, she tells the person there what, yeah. what they want to hear right. and what will get her out of that situation. Yes. Uh, he's certainly acting as if she tried to kill him. Yeah. Uh, but that's not what he tells Eckert. Mm -hmm. And he wants Eckert to think that she betrayed him so that Eckert will want to kill her. Yeah. Right. So I think that covers it. Mm-hmm. Now, there's some strange uh, elements here that don't make a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Cooper said he wanted to talk to Josie yeah. to get, get her to confess. Mm -hmm. But the next time we see him, he's in his room practicing fly fishing. Yeah, he has no sense of urgency once again. Yes. Uh, and I wonder if we're supposed to think that, you know, mm -hmm. like this is another way where uh, no one is looking out for her. And the Cooper specifically is ignoring the presence of a vulnerable woman yeah. in his sphere of influence that he could help and isn't right. helping. Yeah. So, you know, and Josie isn't just another Laura. She's another Maddie. She's another Audrey stuck at one Eye Jacks. Yeah. While Cooper dithers around about what to do. She's right. another Caroline Powell. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, but Cooper gets the call mm -hmm. that Josie's at the Great Northern to meet Eckerd. He grabs his gun. Yeah. Uh, and uh, goes to her room, but by the time he gets there, you know, he hears an argument, raised voices. Yeah. Uh, I think she says, don't touch me. Mm hmm And a shot. Yes. He opens the door. At first, you don't know who's been shot because Eckerd gets up. Yeah. They're both lying in bed together right. when you see them. Yes, very interesting. Yeah, mm -hmm. so much of this happens without you seeing it, and it's actually effective. I think so. And it it lets you fill in the blanks a little bit. Yeah, and it's it's like a Rorschach test. You know, are you assuming that Josie and Eckert had sex, or right. were going to? And these are people that presumably went into this room intending to kill both intending to kill the other mm -hmm. but they you know it, maybe Eckhart still loves her or yeah why is she, why is she in her lingerie if she had just gotten there intending to kill him yeah a lot had happened before mm -hmm. we got to this point yeah but we don't and know that's what. very interesting yes uh but uh um Eckhart stands up but then he starts to bleed in his chest, and mm -hmm. you can see that he's been shot. Yes. Uh, and this is a great bit of directing where um, at first when he gets up, Josie is lying down. Yeah. But then he stands up, and you see the blood. He falls, and Josie is behind him pointing the gun at Cooper. Yeah, it's really effectively <laughs> choreographed. Yes, yeah, so she is revealed mm -hmm. uh, as a dangerous person. Yeah. Although, again, like, I'm so sympathetic to her here. Obviously, she mm -hmm. didn't want him to touch her. Yeah. And even Jonathan, you know, like, that's they. this all starts because um, she killed Jonathan. Yeah. And she says it was self-defense. Which maybe, I believe. Well, but it may not have been self-defense in the legal sense that she was in an imminent danger of her life. But yes. this is a character that we know has coerced her through the threat of violence mm -hmm. and every time she was with him it was because she was afraid of him yeah and 
and use that coercion to rape her. And I think that that legal definition of self-defense is um, useful in a lot of contexts, but it is very often used against um, women and children, especially girls, who defend themselves from men who have abused them. Well, that's the thing, because if you're in a situation where the person abusing you is somehow incapacitated, you kind of have to take well, your shot. Yeah, that's what I, well, what I was going to say is that if the person is stronger than you and has the upper hand, yeah. then the situation where they're actively threatening you mm -hmm. is not the situation where you're able to do anything about it. Exactly. That's what I mean. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, I'm still pretty sympathetic to her. Yeah. Same. Um, but she did shoot Cooper. True. He asked her why. Mm -hmm. And uh, and her answer is very interesting. Yes. So she says that when he came to town, mm -hmm. she figured that... This the, day would come. The end was near. Yes. And what's interesting is, I'm not sure that was true. I Obviously, don't think he it wasn't is there for that reason. Right. Um, it's possible that he could have unraveled that mystery mm -hmm. while he was unraveling Laura Palmer's mystery. Sure. Although he didn't. Yeah. But I, again, I think it's, um, it's another connection to Laura that I think we're supposed to notice. I, I don't think it's a coincidence that one of the last images we see of Josie in this episode is of her looking at herself in the mirror, which is of course the first thing we see in the pilot. Mm-hmm. And um, I think this strain of fatalism in her is something that she shares with Lara. Um, this idea that she's sort of doomed mm -hmm. uh, to her fate and that the only control she has is of how she goes out. Yeah. So I, could, I think it's believable that Josie would think this, that, mm -hmm. um, that once Cooper came to town, that was it, that there was no other way out for her. Yeah. Yeah, and I actually like this because mm -hmm. it means that Cooper getting shot wasn't related to yeah. Laura's mystery at all. Right. Um, <sighs> it was just because, because um, Josie was acting like a real person. Mm-hmm meaning she assumed that things... she was the protagonist of the tv show yeah that... not a supporting character <laughs> right yeah that that the fbi was there to get her yeah she assumed it was about her mm -hmm. which is i think realistic it's what you would do yeah in shoes yeah um uh or at, at any rate she thought this is not good i need to get mm -hmm. you know the less scrutiny here the better yeah um and i like that i like how messy it is yes I agree. Because uh, really, there was no reason for Cooper to get shot. No. And it didn't have anything to do with the people he was investigating. Mm -hmm. It really was kind of out of left field. Yeah. From this whole other story, he had no idea about until until now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at any rate, she she is not going to go to prison. No. But Harry yes. comes in. Actually, I don't know where Harry came from. He kind of yeah. appears from the side like well, a velociraptor. Right. Well, um, Cooper got the call from Catherine, interestingly, yeah. 
at the sheriff's station, didn't he? Or was it to his hotel room? His hotel room. His hotel room. You're right. And that was after they already told Truman. Because he's already at the hotel. Right. So Truman was already there, but or Truman was already heading there. Mm-hmm. But because Cooper was staying there, he was able to get to the room first, I suppose. Yes. Yes. And then Truman came in. Although it, the way it's filmed, it doesn't. It looks like Truman didn't come in through the door. Right. So I, I was wondering well, where what. Yeah. You know, what happened? Mm-hmm. Was he hiding in the closet? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but at any rate, he's there, so she doesn't want to just um, go out in a blaze of glory no. and kill him. No. Uh, and it's very tense. And then she's dead. Yeah. She just <laughs> dies. She just dies. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking, wait, what? What happened? Right. Well, someone else is there. Yes. A bright light appears. Mm-hmm. And we see Bob. Finally. Yes. This, I had no idea this was going to happen. Mm-hmm. I knew, I heard about the Jorah pool. Yeah. But I didn't know that Bob was going to show up again. I was mm-hmm. really surprised. Yeah. And he's there and he says, uh, what did he say? What happened? He what says, happened to Josie? He says, Coop, what happened to Josie? Yeah. He calls him Coop, which is very familiar. Mm-hmm. Um, what happened to her? Yeah. It's like accus- accusatory. Yeah. Like you should know. Mm-hmm. I you should have known what was going on here. I think it's meant to be. I think I think it's meant to be accusatory, and I think it sort of deflates once again uh, this impression we might have of Cooper as the unambiguous hero who yeah. always does the right thing. Because I think this is again another instance of him ignoring something that was right in front of his face, and somebody, a young woman, dying because yeah. of it. Yeah, and in the next episode, he still doesn't get it. Right. Because he tells Truman, well, she was a hardened criminal. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that, I think that's what he also what he needed to tell Truman in that but it's, moment. But it's, I think it's what he believes. I think it's what he believes, but I think it's also of a piece with him telling Sarah Palmer, now it was Bob, not Leland. Yeah. It's um, very easy for Cooper, I think, to slot these... Um, ambiguous violent terrifying events into his preconceived idea of how the world works where certain things happen and other things don't and if terrible things happen that you don't expect it's because of understandable causes yeah well this is making me think of um when leland killed jacques Mm -hmm. and Doc Hayward said something to Cooper along the lines of, well, he, you know, I can understand what he's feeling. Yeah. And Cooper is very stern uh, and rigid saying, you know, well, he, it, it, he broke the law. Yeah. He it, killed someone. It's that's still wrong. murder. Exactly. Um, and uh, that's interesting. Well, and then also it's interesting that, uh, did Cooper just assume later that that would that that Leland only did that because of Bob? Mm, I think so. Interesting. Or that he did it all because of Bob. Really. Did it all right. Um. But yeah, it's so ambiguous. Mm-hmm. That that's another ambiguity that I had forgotten about mm-hmm. that gets steamrolled. Yes. <laughs> um. When Cooper tries to explain it all away. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, it's pretty consistent with Cooper's characterization. He is in the FBI. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, well, sometimes he actually does bend the rules. Yeah. And other times he holds people to a high standard mm-hmm. and, and acts like the rules are black and white. Yeah. Uh, and that's very realistic. Yeah, absolutely. That's pretty much what everyone does, and especially law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> especially law enforcement. Yeah. Uh, the law is sacrosanct, yes. and it's a bright line. Yes. And if you break the law, you knew the consequences. Yes. Um, and you are a hardened criminal. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't matter what your motivations are. Uh, but also, I'm going to break the law right now just because I think it's necessary. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, we're going to go to Canada mm-hmm. uh, with a posse and uh... <laughs> <laughs> and rescue my not girlfriend. Yeah, roundups and cowpokes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, so it's pretty consistent, but it, it kind of makes me think, huh, he didn't really take Bob's message to heart. No. Because the question is, you know, yeah, Josie did bad things. Mm-hmm. But what happened to her? You know, yeah. I don't think it's, it, it's not just how did she die. Mm-hmm. It's like, how did she get here? Yeah. Why did this happen at all? Yeah. Why Why did it happen to her when it doesn't happen to so many other people? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, well, that's how I took it. No, you know? absolutely. Um, that, and, the, and the presence of Bob may, just underlines that it's connected with, mm-hmm. with Laura. Yeah. And the other thing I like here is that um, unlike previous episodes that kind of implied Bob is... Bob has been exercised. Mm-hmm. He's still out there somewhere. Yeah. He's out there, not in here. Yes. This suggests that Bob is still very much in here. Yes. In among the goings on of Twin Peaks. Yes. Where you least expect him. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Because until this point, there was really nothing connecting those two stories. Right. Nothing explicit. I mean, there's thematic yes. resonance. Yes. But Josie wasn't really involved in Laura's story at all. No, no. I mean, it, I mean, other than, you know, links connected to links connected to links. So she sure. knew Hank and Hank was involved, you know, with Leo. But Josie, right. you we know. know that Laura and Josie knew each other. Laura tutored Josie in English and that kind of thing. Yeah. But Laura did a lot of stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, but there, there's really no... Um, at this point, we don't have any reason to think that these two stories are connected. No. Uh, or that Bob would be, you know, in a way, this is sort of like, um, this has just been a sort of noirish thriller plotline. Yeah. And we we don't necessarily think that there needs to be anything supernatural going on here. Mm-hmm. It's just... Uh, the evil of the world. Yes. But then that goes back to the idea of Bob as the evil that men do. Mm-hmm. So here, where you don't need Bob as an explanatory factor, mm-hmm. he's still there well, somehow. Yes. It, if only because he is kind of a carrion eater. You know, he he feeds off of people's pain and suffering, and there's plenty here, so he's happy. Yeah, well, that's one way to look at it. Um, and I think I read uh, that 
that's generally how people have interpreted this, mm-hmm. the ending of this episode. Yeah. That Bob just kind of shows up to, uh, yeah, to feast on the pain. But Yeah, I don't think it's only that, though. I think, again, he's gloating to Cooper specifically. Yes. Um, for some reason. I think by now, and this becomes clearer in the return, and definitely by the end of this season, Bob sees Cooper as an adversary yeah. in an important way. And he's bragging that he got another win. Right. And that implies that Bob was at play here. Somehow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He wasn't possessing anyone. Yeah. But that he doesn't need to. Yeah. That's, which that's is what much like. scarier. Yes. This, this, this injects mystery and, and, and real horror, real fear mm-hmm. back into Bob. Yeah. Because we thought we understood his rules. Yeah, that he possesses people and acts through them, but right. that that isn't the case here. Yeah, there's something else going on, and it's never really explained. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and we haven't talked about the drawer pull yet. No, but I, my assumption or inference is that Bob did that. Somehow. Yeah, maybe um, a combination of Bob and the man from the other place who also, also shows, shows up. up. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but at, at any rate, it's not so it's not so important that we know exactly what is going on mm-hmm. what's it and in fact actually it's important that we are reminded we don't know what's going on yeah absolutely that the evil that men do is connected with what bob is doing mm-hmm. and in ways that we we can't always uh anticipate or predict yeah in ways we can't always understand yeah so let's talk about that drawer pull yes uh i have some ideas i i mean i think it's um One of the things I like and one of the ways this episode feels more like Twin Peaks Mm -hmm. is that um, both the writers and Leslie Linka-Glotter are remembering to imbue these small household objects with this kind of totemic power Mm -hmm. um, that is barely understandable but still really felt. And I think the drawer pull, even though we only see it at the very end of the episode has that same kind of feeling and so i think that's that all works Mm -hmm. i think this entire episode and in reflection josie's entire storyline has been about her being squeezed into smaller and smaller space yeah and um being cornered more and more and more and now this is the ultimate literalized version of that And it's not just that she is trapped in a very small object. She's trapped in a very small object that is purely utilitarian. It's purely something that is of use for other people's purposes and for, um, and this will maybe sound really inane, but for storage. Yeah. She's something that people have always projected things onto. Yeah. That's why it's so important that the first images we see of her are of her looking in the mirror. It's, right. it's, she's very much somebody who is always looked at and always um, kind of imbued with meaning against her own will mm-hmm. and just like stuffed full of associations that other people have and yeah. um, neuroses and needs and um, nefarious goals that other people have. There's, uh, it's a very, in its way, gendered image, but also I think racialized one. I think there's like a lot of 
things about like post-colonialism you can read into this if you know the critic Edward Said and what he talks about in Orientalism and in um, his work about how the West uses uh, images of um, Asian and Middle Eastern people um, and stuffs them full of meaning in that way in order to kind of justify colonialism, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Josie and the way other characters treat her is an example of that. And this really literalizes it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she literally becomes furniture. Yeah. She becomes uh, a, dec- a decorative, or well, that's the thing is it's not, she, it's not even decorative. It's just useful. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, there are a lot of, lot of ways you could interpret it you mm-hmm. know um yeah it is interesting she is used throughout and so this literalizes that mm-hmm. but it, it's also like um she's past she she was a container mm-hmm. um but now she can no longer contain. She's not even the the drawer itself. Yeah. She can't serve that purpose anymore. Mm-hmm. And she just, uh, yeah. Or and, she's the container and the contained right. at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And a drawer is maybe also somewhere where you might hide something. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's also... A purpose that she serves yes to obfuscate you know that she was yeah. used as uh, a pretty face to obfuscate Eckhart's dealings mm-hmm. and manipulate people right uh and she did manipulate people and now she is manipulated mm-hmm. as a as a knob yeah <laughs> yeah i mean that that is right. what that is what it is. She's she's pulled and handled and used. Yeah, and this is so it's a kind of purgatory that she's in. Mm-hmm. A purgatorial state. Mm. Um Yeah, it's interesting. It sort of uh, reminds me of a Buddhist idea or a way of thinking about karma, which is it's not a punishment because there's no yeah. god that's punishing you. Yeah. It's more like what who you are uh, who you really are on the inside Mm -hmm. in a particular life yes it it sticks and you become just that just more so that yeah um more fully you you become more fully Mm -hmm. your bad habits basically yes and so um yeah like if you're really greedy in life then you are reborn as a, a hungry ghost that is going around trying to drink but you're your throat is so small mm-hmm. um, that you can't actually, you can only get a tiny drop. Yes. Um, and uh, so this could, it, it could reflect on Josie's, um, some of the bad decisions she's made, but it, it feels, it feels very unfair in that mm-hmm. it is also, whenever she, she used that position to her advantage, it seemed yeah. like, making the best of a bad situation exactly that really it was other people that put her in this position Mm -hmm. to begin with yes and the fact that she got any kind of uh that that she ever made any money or Mm -hmm. gained any power yeah you um from that position makes Mm -hmm. you 
makes me root for her. Yeah, honestly. Um, but she was only able to thrive in a world of deception and crime. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's she's doomed. And that, you know, you asked whether Albert was a, a misogynist. Mm-hmm. I think the question is, is the femme fatale trope misogynistic and inherently? Is, <laughs> and is the world misogynistic? Right. And it's not even about Albert, really. It's just he's he's playing a certain role within a system that can't allow help and protection for women like Josie. It just uses yeah. them and then punishes them. Yeah, I mean... And he's a, he's a part of that system just as much as... Eckerd or Andrew right. or Jonathan yeah. or anyone else. And so is Cooper. Yeah, and it, it never seems to occur to them that maybe she was coerced. No, it ways. doesn't. It doesn't. Which is certainly interesting because I think they, Cooper especially, take a very different attitude towards Lara's sex work. Yeah. Which is even if they don't say explicitly that she was coerced into it, it's definitely understood by them to be something that she was doing out of, out of trauma. Yeah. And the villains in that, um, in that scenario in which Lara and Ronette and the other girls at one eye Jacks were doing sex work. The villains are, you know, Ben Horn and mm-hmm. Jacques Renault and to an extent, Leo, um, for using them and for pimping them out and yeah um right but the the nice white girls were just victims of that the asian woman is an accomplice yes um and it seems like a matter of degree yeah and yeah and like well you know where where does a hardy criminal like Josie start? Well, you we, know, where does do she, where we does know, that come from? I were we told I don't remember this sadly, and I'm sure I could find out because I do think it's mentioned how how old was Josie when she started working for Eckerd? She was she was pretty young. She's pretty young now. Yeah. Um I don't remember if she says an age, but mm-hmm. I got the impression she was a teenager. Yeah, I did too. Yeah. And that maybe she had been doing some like survival sex work on the street before he found her. Well, she says that she had been living on the street mm-hmm. and that's how she met Eckhart. Yeah. And that in a way she was lucky because some families sell their children. Right, right. Um, so I th- that, that I think implies that... Uh, she was of an age where she might have been sold. Yes, yes. Uh, instead of being sold outright, she falls in with Eckhart, yeah. who maybe she sees as a savior, but mm-hmm. in the end, it turns out that he owns her. Yeah. Just as if she had been sold. Right, right. Which is very realistic as mm-hmm. to how... Yeah. I mean, I, now we would say jo- Josie is a victim of human trafficking. Exactly, you know? exactly. And we know a lot more I mean, people knew it now, but we talk a lot more about how children like that who are maybe engaging in survival sex work on the street because they're runaways or um, for whatever reason are very vulnerable to manipulation by people who say that they're saving them. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. And uh, in some ways, this is a show about human trafficking. Yeah. And a show about how it actually works. Yeah. Not about the fantasy. Uh huh. About. Yeah. Again, know. it's not somebody hitting you over the head with a brick and yeah. putting you in a van. But because this is also what Ben Horn does. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Uh, women start out just wanting to make a little extra money. Mm hmm. Uh, but that may involve crossing the border, yep. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. um, and then who knows, you could wind up uh, addicted to heroin. Yeah. And you're stuck there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. So uh, I think overall, Josie's story was very compelling mm -hmm. and the ending is very compelling. Yes. Um, you know, we'll miss Joan Chen. Yeah, we because will. Because we, we won't see her again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a theory that David Lynch came up with this storyline. Hmm. It came up with the ending. You do? Okay. The ending where Josie is trapped in the in drawer a, pool. In the drawer pool. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't, you know, I can't prove it. And, and Lynch has always tried to draw a hard line and say, well, there was a certain point where he just left. Mm -hmm. He's not responsible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not so sure because in the next episode uh -huh. that, um, we're going to watch. Mm -hmm. uh, he he is he is on set as an actor. Yeah. So I'm sorry he was around. Mm. If he could be bothered to show up and um, kiss Matt Janamik, then <laughs> he, can, <laughs> he can be bothered to at, at least uh, give them some ideas for how they should wrap up Josie's story. Well, you know that old saying from Russia that uh, the road is covered with snow and ice. So I can't go to church. The road is covered with snow and ice on the road to the bar. I'll walk very carefully. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, we'll we'll get to that. Mm -hmm. But um, I don't know. I think that he. I think it was probably a more complicated story that became simpler in the retelling, and mm -hmm. that he didn't just walk away. Yeah. But he was just a little less invested emotionally in it for sure and was may maybe was a little harder to reach wasn't on set as much i think one potential clue we've been watching these on the uh gold box dvd set which include all of the log lady intros and eventually we'll do an episode just on the log lady intros because i think they are pretty interesting david lynch wrote all of them um apparently even for episodes where he was not really involved in the writer's room anymore yeah and for this Log Lady intro for episode 16, it's all about that drawer pull. It's all about the drawer pull. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In fact, all of the Log Lady intros do have a connection. Yeah. But for a lot of these episodes, uh, it's, he just picks like some element. Like mm -hmm. there's a, if there's a, a dog or something. Sure. And she talks about dogs. Mm-hmm. But this was one where, she, yeah, it's all about that one specific important plot element. And this one, like, totemic object that is yeah. full of full of meaning and also now full of Josie. Yeah, and I just think it's too weird for mm -hmm. the writers to have come up with on their own. Yeah, I honestly. mean, they did, they, what we've seen them do in the episodes that weren't as great mm -hmm. uh, is usually they, they start to rely more on hackneyed tropes. Or right. or they tr or they go back to things that David Lynch started, like mm -hmm. Nadine is crazy. Yeah, and they they try to do something like that, but it's not as good. Well, and I think they 
But I, 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 it's such a, yeah. the idea is so far out there. Yes. Um, and the, even the special effect that's used. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if that was state of the art at that point. <laughs> but in, it, in, in its crudeness, it reminded me of some of the effects in The Return. Mm, yeah, I agree. Um, but I think, like, just as importantly, it's it's a weird thing that's never explained and that you know is never going to be explained. It's not tied yes. to anything about, oh, well, she's in the Black Lodge now or right. anything. There's, there isn't even an attempt. Yeah, actually, that's, that's right. And that's, to me, that's definitive. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that the ending of this episode only increases your questions yeah increases the yes. mystery mm-hmm. it it raises questions makes things more complicated more mm-hmm. ambiguous yep um rather than closing off possibilities right and that is david lynch's trademark yeah absolutely and i don't think that they would have done that if he hadn't have said hey let's do this or it's possible they did and they just you know got really lucky one time well, and also I think they're trying to wrap up storylines at this point. True. Um, and trying to get to the White Lodge stuff. Mm-hmm. And none of this really fits in neatly with the White Lodge. No. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it, it could be it was just a brief phone call mm-hmm. uh, where they said, hey. What should to, we do with Josie? Said, Put her in the drawer pool. <laughs> yeah. I think that would be neat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're like, what? Just trust me on this. <laughs> but at any rate, uh, whether it's because of Lynch's involvement or not, this really felt like a classic episode of Twin Peaks. Yeah. Uh, and I really enjoyed it. Yes, I did too. Now, moving on to episode... Well, there, no, there's other stuff in this oh, episode. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. That's right. <laughs> Jeez Louise. Yeah, uh, that's right. There are a couple of other uh, important things. Should we talk about... Nadine and Mike and Ed and Norma? Um, we can. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) I said I wanted to talk about other stuff in this episode, and then you pick the one I don't actually have much to say about, I guess. Um, Ed and Norma are sweet. I I like, um, that Norma tells off Hank. Mm -hmm. Um, it still feels a little like wheel spinning to me. And maybe that's because I know it's not going to take. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts? It's not going to take meaning. Uh, meaning this is not the end of Ed and Nadine's marriage. <clears throat> right. Yep. Yeah. They're just teasing us. Mm-hmm. And they know it because uh, Nadine has that moment where she says she's gone blind in one eye. Yes. Suggesting that maybe... She's waking up? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But it gives Ed and Norma a little bit of... uh, A little brief period of happiness. Yes, which is nice. And we get to see Hank uh, just get spit on and shit on by everybody which Which is is, a lot of fun yeah also nice he's easily the most contemptible person on this show yeah i mean hawk kicks out his crunches his crutches from under him yeah which is uh not behavior that i condone from a police officer no no shouldn't do that in the situation uh of a tv show where it's all fictional and yes where hank is an unequivocal bad guy Mm -hmm. uh it's a lot of fun yeah um 
Well, that, you know, it's a complicated scene. You know, we want to see Hank get roughed up. Sure. But it's only because he points out mm -hmm. the truth, which is that Harry Truman yeah. is biased, is, not, yes, is uh, exactly. not acting in public interest. Exactly. Fair enough. <clears throat> um, but yeah, uh, because Hank is, uh, he's in jail, mm -hmm. Norma's not going to go to bat for him anymore. Right. Um, and he is on the hook, not just for parole violation, but for the attempted murder of Leo Johnson. Yes. Because Bobby was a witness. Right. So he is neutralized mm -hmm. and Nadine is in love with Mike. Yeah. Um, and in fact, they are going to a hotel for some clandestine <laughs> owning. Yeah. Although does that happen in this episode or the <clears throat> next one? That might be the next episode. Yeah. Uh, but as a result, um, yeah, both Nadine and Big Ed are free mm -hmm. for now. For now. Okay. Well, then, uh, what what storyline did you want to talk about? Um, I want to talk about the scene between Donna and James. Okay. Um, first, because it's our first Lara mention in a while, but I think this is basically what what I wanted from the storyline since James left town, this is kind of where they should have just left it then mm -hmm. instead of drawing things out, which is um, James explicitly says that he was kind of looking for somebody to save in Evelyn Marsh, that that's what he is drawn to. And um he's just been too affected by everything that's happened to just have a nice and happy relationship with Donna and Twin Peaks. Mm -hmm. And Donna is very understanding of that. And she says that she also wants to be able to form new memories and um, have new experiences that don't have anything to do with Laura or Maddie or yeah. any of this. And it's, um, it's weirdly very emotionally mature for the mm -hmm. two of them to admit that and to kind of yeah. forgive each other and say goodbye. I thought it, I thought it was well done. I thought mm -hmm. it should have come much earlier instead yeah. of just wasting our time. Yeah, pretty much. So we can say goodbye to James Marshall. Thank God. Yeah, no, he's not going to come back until the return. <laughs> because I was loving this episode, and mm -hmm. then when he showed up, I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. Please don't ruin it. Right. But they didn't. They didn't ruin it. Yeah. Um, yeah, they, they didn't ask too much of James Marshall. In this no. Scene. And I, again, I think it's, um, it's very character based in that it's where this relationship was really always headed because <clears throat> it was a relationship that was born out of yeah. shared trauma and shared love for somebody else who was gone. And it, it couldn't last. It just, it couldn't, you know, it was, it was that plus being teenagers. It's, um, it's fine for it to be ending. It's good that they're realizing that. Yeah. That's the end. Yep. Pretty much. Yeah. So do you want to talk about Billy Zane? Billy Zane is so pretty. <clears throat> it's honestly hard for me to keep track of anything that happens in his scenes. Every time Billy Zane shows up in something, I think, prettiest man i ever saw yeah yeah <laughs> which is uh 
you know, maybe we'll do uh, an episode about Tombstone one of these days. Yes. Since Billy Zane is in it and mm-hmm. in Twin Peaks. And he's very pretty in both. <laughs> but that's what uh, Powers Booth's character says yeah. when he sees Billy Zane. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, he's an interesting presence. Yeah. Um, he He's a good actor. Mm-hmm. He's not just coasting on his looks. No, absolutely not. Uh, but it often feels like he's not exactly sure of what he's going for because sometimes he's a little doing kind of a mumbly mm-hmm. Marlon Brando type thing. Sure. Um, but other times he's enunciating more and it's more like uh, yeah. a little theatrical. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I think um, he's always a welcome addition to a TV show or movie. Yeah, sure. But uh, he, well, what happened to Billy Zane? What happened to Billy Zane? Um, it just, he never really broke through. Um, right. And now he mainly shows up almost as like stunt casting mm-hmm. or as a joke. Sure. Like, isn't it funny that Billy the- Zane is here? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like in Zoolander. Uh-huh. Yeah. What was the last big movie he was in? Titanic? That was a long time ago. Yeah, I feel like that was the last one where he had a, a big role. Mm-hmm. Um, the last thing I saw him in was Community. True. And I think he has uh, he has great comic timing. He's a oh, good comic actor. Oh, for sure, actor. for sure. And he was maybe he was uh, should have um, you know maybe he was kind of shoehorned into mm-hmm. being the, a pretty boy. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um, but it's interesting because this is the kind of role that I think actresses get all the time in Hollywood and actors get it rarely, which is he's purely a love interest. There is no, there is no plot for John Justice Wheeler other than to be, um, this incredibly handsome love interest for Audrey. Yeah that's the only role he serves um you know i mean he he sort of furthers the plot of like the ghostwood pine weasel protests <laughs> a little bit yeah. but he seems to barely be interested in that um and it's just transparently a way for him to get in the same room as audrey so that mm-hmm. they can fall in love yeah and i think what's most interesting to me about that is that when you compare that to her aborted romance with Cooper and think about it in the context of her storyline in the second half of the second season. It's interesting that her love interest is someone who is so closely tied to her father and her father's business. Well, Um, and that he's not younger than Cooper as far as I can tell. No, no, he doesn't seem to be. In fact, he, I mean, he might be older. He's somebody who has worked with her father before. Yeah. So he's definitely older than her. Yeah. I'm not sure how I feel about that mm-hmm. angle. Yeah. I'm not sure either. You know, if they were, that's the thing. You, It, it shows that when, that, that any indication that the show's giving that it didn't pursue the Audrey storyline, mm-hmm. the Audrey Cooper romance, that mm-hmm. is, because of the age gap. Yeah. That is, um, you know, it is it's just wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just not true. Yes. Uh, it was the stuff with um, Larf, uh, Larf and Boyle. Yeah. Or, I don't know, there may have been other reasons. I think 
yeah, like I've said before, I think it's like perfectly reasonable to not pursue that romance for yeah. the moment, at least just because of right. where they are in terms of life experience. But um, they're, yeah, the, they're, the yeah. age gap thing is, is specious. I think it's, you know, um, as far as age gaps go, Sherilyn Fenn and Billy Zane don't look inappropriate. Like they don't look like they're too far yeah. apart. But again, it is a, it's a life experience thing. Audrey is still a teenager. She's supposed to be in school. Why is no one <laughs> in school anymore? I know. Apart from Nadine. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Maybe they don't have access to that set anymore. Maybe. They had well, it we a saw it a few of, episodes. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, uh, you know, I think that there's good reason to be uncomfortable with a, a Cooper Audrey romance. Mm-hmm. But then I wish that they had found an age-appropriate love interest for her. Yeah. But at any rate, look, it's a TV show. Uh-huh. Uh, it's not real life. Sure. Uh, I'm suspending this, not the disbelief, but, you know, I'm just not, I'm not really looking at this the way I look at it in real life. Mm-hmm. It's, I'm taking it as it's supposed to be, which is that um, right. she uh, needs a rebound uh, yeah. from Cooper. Mm-hmm. And he's handsome and non-threatening. Yeah. Uh, even though he works for her father or worked worked with her father. Uh-huh. Um, that's a little weird. I mean, we're, you know, we've talked about how we're not, we think that she should want to get as far away from her po- father as possible. Mm-hmm. You would think. Um, but that's just not the direction the show has gone yeah, in. Yeah, it's so, clearly, it's just you know, not the story they're telling. This This version of Audrey doesn't really have a problem with her father anymore, so... Yeah, so you you know we're gonna. Um, I, I I've I've accepted that and moved on, and mm-hmm. I'm just trying to take this storyline uh, as it is. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it's just uh, I like it because it gives Sherilyn Finn um, an opportunity to mm-hmm. do some really great acting. Yeah, and she and is quite she's, good. She is terrific in all of their scenes. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think that they have really the same chemistry that uh, she had with uh, Kyle MacLachlan. No. But she's, I mean, she's, I think she's very good and, and um, really is really selling it. Yeah, Selling I agree. that uh, she's falling for this guy. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be a love for the ages. Mm-hmm. He's just handsome and competent yeah. and successful. Yeah. He is somehow both a vulture capitalist and an environmentalist. Mm-hmm. I didn't quite follow this part. Yeah, I don't think that type really exists in real <laughs> life. I mean, well, that's not true. I think that type exists in real life as far as there are certainly vulture capitalists who think that they are environmentalists. I just think they are kidding themselves and the rest of us. Yeah. Yeah, but that's uh, that's what he does, right? He... He moves in when a company is failing, helps him. He's, file for he's Mitt Romney. Yeah. yeah. But it's uh, it seems like it's a way of bailing out the people at the top. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, seems like it. Or the way, I don't know if that's what Mitt Romney did, but mm-hmm. it seems like he's here to, to, um, <laughs> to do uh, what in some sectors is called a reorg. Yes. Well, that is what Mitt Romney did. Maybe he's here to, but it's to help Ben. Yeah. Uh, it's not an antagonistic thing. Mm-hmm. It's like Ben wants him to come in and basically like 
um, rebrand his business. Yeah, but I uh, think there's... Help them uh, offload their uh, debts and whatever. There's also the implication that they will get one up on Catherine and get everything back from her and then some, and then maybe maybe then he won't be so nice. Yeah, well, this is Ben's new plan. Mm -hmm. And I think this is well done because it's very ambiguous Mm -hmm. whether... Ben really believes in uh, that he's doing the right thing. You think it is? Well, I don't know. I feel like the way it's written, it's not. But mm-hmm. the way Richard Bamer is playing it, yeah, fair enough. He is actually bringing enough sincerity mm-hmm. to it, to his lines. Yeah, that it makes me think that maybe at the very least he thinks he's being sincere. Well, I think it's a certain kind of capitalist philanthropy. Yeah where um, the capitalist in question has so gotten high on their own supply that they genuinely believe, they really do, that there are situations where they can pursue their own self-interest and also help, and that that just sweetens the deal for both sides. You know? Everyone wins. Everyone wins if I am screwing over Catherine Martell and saving the pine weasel and ghostwood. Yeah. Well, that's just, you know, that's just birthday cake on top of my nice meal. And real uh, well, foundation hours. Yeah, exactly. Uh, real, real Mike Bloomberg, Bill Gates hours. Um, and I think, you know, there, there's an extent to which you can say, well, they don't really believe any of their shit, but I think some of them do Yeah. because they're stupid. Um, and so obviously yes the real motivation is is to make money and to screw over their competition and that i think is ben's real motivation he would not be doing it were that not present but um you know he probably has some affection for the pine weasel i think i think (laughs) it's just something that like adds to his righteousness and makes him believe that it's not just that he benefits from screwing over Catherine martell but everybody will and that's why you should all get on board yeah. Yeah. And isn't it interesting that the the morally virtuous thing to do is also the thing that will make Ben Horn money? Just mm-hmm. a big happy coincidence. Yeah. Well, it's a pretty accurate portrayal of how NGOs work. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. 100%. I'm coming to the conclusion that Twin Peaks may be the most realistic show ever made. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think in a lot of ways for this telling, kind of person. They're telling they're uh yeah, they're telling the, the hard truths about human trafficking, uh-huh. NGOs. Yep. Um, yeah. Uh, well, okay. I think there's not too much left to talk about in episode 16. Yeah. Uh, do we want to talk about Wyndham Earl? Um, He's looking for his queen. Yeah. I mean, the... <laughs> gosh. The, the little poem fragments he sends to um, Audrey, Donna, and Shelley... Um, I feel like he, those three characters are picked because, you know, the, the three prettiest girls in Twin Peaks probably currently alive. Um, but also he, he couldn't have picked better in terms of like who would actually show up at the roadhouse to decipher this clue because you have two girls, Donna and Audrey, who are in their different ways, girl detectives and who love, you know, solving mysteries and getting to the bottom of things. And then you have Shelly, 
who, God bless her, does not have a single bone of self-preservation yeah. <laughs> in her body. Yeah, it's really funny mm-hmm. because it's like bad writing, but saved because I think by accident. Because uh, these three really are that dumb. Well, or that I think for Audrey and Donna, it's more about their thrill-seeking nature. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it really does work for all three of these characters mm-hmm. that they got a murder letter yeah. in the, <laughs> saying, uh, come to this location. Meet me at the bar. Yeah. Don't, don't tell anyone you're coming. And they say, aye, aye. <laughs> yeah, they all show up. <laughs> um, but uh, w- another thing I wanted to bring up about this storyline is that uh gladder is makes windham earl scary yes absolutely i think that's really important and she does it by not relying on his performance Mm -hmm. um but just through the magic of film Mm -hmm. um for one thing he's in this uh sort of redneck get up Mm -hmm. um which for some reason really does like uh it, it is kind of off-putting or like yeah. he's, a bit, he's a bit scarier in this get up mm-hmm. uh in the next episode he, he's gonna be dressed as a biker and it's 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 border it's pretty goofy mm-hmm. um but here uh it adds a layer of menace yeah uh, maybe the idea that um i don't know that um uh i guess maybe it's playing on a class element that he's yeah. dressed as yeah maybe like a hunter mm-hmm. with like a hunting cap yeah or like a the kind of cap that a hunter in that area might wear sure um, but at any rate uh what i really wanted to talk about was this wonderful uh camera move at the roadhouse where yeah, the three of really them well are done. talking over the their letters mm-hmm. and the camera makes this balletic movement yeah curving yeah. around and wh- as it moves it reveals Wyndham Earl in the background right and I think it makes the the storyline itself scarier that that's where we leave it because this wasn't an ambush in that he didn't try to get them all to this place at the same time so that he could like attack them or kidnap them or murder them or anything like that. It seems to be just so that he could watch what they would do. And that's, yeah, that's more unsettling because it means we don't know what his plan is. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that comes up in the next episode as well. There's a lot of Wyndham Earl just being there Mm -hmm. and watching. Yeah. yeah, I said in an earlier episode mm-hmm. that they keep telling us he's an evil genius mm-hmm. and that he, we should be afraid of him, but yeah. they can't think of anything clever or scary for him to do. And and now they are. Yeah, uh, I think it is unnerving that he is always there somewhere watching mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and manipulating people, maybe yeah. just for the sake of, of doing it or yeah. laughing at them and enjoying what they do. Yes. Yeah, and his penchant for disguises, mm-hmm. uh, which can come off as goofy. Um, yeah. But I think in this episode, and then in, w- in one instance in the next episode, not his biker get up, but mm-hmm. uh, one scene that we'll talk about, it's yeah. used very effectively. Mm-hmm. And it does, you, you know, this is kind of frightening that someone that yeah. can commit mm-hmm. this much and, like, you know, 
completely change their features yeah change their affect mm-hmm. and uh and just blend in anywhere and be anyone yeah well on that note maybe we should talk about episode 17 sure uh although actually uh real quick we should mention that somewhere around 15 and 16 mm-hmm. the show went on hiatus yes I think it may have been after episode 16. I read some things that were a little contradictory, mm-hmm. but apparently episode 15 mm-hmm. got the worst ratings that they had had ever. That doesn't really shock me. Yeah. Well, episode 14 was pretty dire. Yes. 15 was actually better. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can imagine a lot of people were probably watching it at this point and they thought okay nothing is happening nothing yeah. that we care about is happening and so i think in a lot of ways episode 16 feels like a reset um not just stylistically and thematically in terms of getting back to what twin peaks is supposed to actually be about but stuff is happening again that seems like it has actual stakes yeah mm-hmm. and that's why i was curious about the timing um I'm pretty sure that it went on hiatus um, uh, after they had at least uh, made episode 16 because Mm -hmm. it was in response to the ratings of episode 15. Sure. Yes. So I don't know how much this was a self-conscious attempt Mm -hmm. to to save the show or not, Mm -hmm. or maybe they already had an inkling that this might happen. Yeah. And I I don't know too much about the production history of the show, so... It could be it could be kind of coincidental just because I don't know yeah. how long it took them to shoot episodes and how long before each airing right. the episode was filmed. I just don't know. Yeah, and um in the last two episodes they actually were wrapping up a lot of storylines mm-hmm. and clearing the way. Yes. <laughs> you know, for episode sixteen mm-hmm. to be a return to form. Right. Um, the other, the other thing is that, um, according to Mark Frost, the real problem was that the network kept changing the schedule. Mm. I think they had one big time slot change, um, in, in season two. Yeah. But then they kept moving it around apparently because of the Gulf war. (laughs) Yeah. God, that was the same time. Yes, which means that, uh, you know, I think the the cancellation of Twin Peaks mm-hmm. is uh, yet, yet another crime committed by the Bush family. Yeah, God, wow. Yes. <laughs> the Bush crime syndicate, as I call them. Right, by House of Bush and House of Saddam. <laughs> yeah. They colluded. Yep. Uh, so anyway, that's background here. Uh, this, I think it was episode 17 mm-hmm. where they came back from hiatus. Okay. Uh, and they, it was supposed to be an indefinite hiatus, meaning they may not come back. Hmm. So this show almost died a couple of times. Yes. Well, yeah. I mean, coming to think of it, 17, we are getting into the home stretch. Yes. It's, it's really just a few, a few left mm-hmm. before it's all over. Yeah, so, yeah, the show went on hi- hiatus in the middle of the season, mm-hmm. and then they went on hiatus again before the last two episodes. Right. 
And in both cases, they weren't sure whether the show was going to come back. Right. Uh, okay, so this episode, I think, is pretty good. Yeah. Not as strong as the last one. No. But the show still has a lot of momentum. In fact, I, I like most of this episode. Mm -hmm. It's really the ending. Yeah. Which we'll get to that. Mm -hmm. um, and some other, and, and a few other elements. Sure. So let's start with Harry. Okay. Harry's who, not good. Harry's in a bad place. Yeah. He's gone off the deep end. Mm hmm uh, because one, of his life, yeah, as one turned would. into a doorknob. It is, it is refreshing again, as with the Ben thing, to see somebody who's actually affected by all the terrible shit that's been happening. Because mm -hmm. so many of these characters just aren't; they just get over it right away. Yeah, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. uh, however, this is another instance where they're not playing to the strengths of the actor. No, and they're asking more of him than he can actually do. Yeah, maybe. Um, and I don't know, mm -hmm. unless I'm missing something, yeah. I just think he's bad. Yeah. Like he's pretty yeah. good when he's just sort of like sitting there glowering or being depressed. Right. But later on in the episode when, uh, he has to, <laughs> when, when he, he yells, has to yell. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't really work. Uh, and that's about all. I want to say about that storyline. It's <laughs> yeah, not. Yeah. I mean, it's a storyline that makes sense. Uh huh. Um, and uh, they have to. Yeah, and it's it's kind of nice that Cooper mm -hmm. comes to the rescue. Sure. His old friend. Sure. Um, but other than that, mm -hmm. it's not that interesting. Right. Uh, but Cooper has a love interest now as well. Yes, he does. It's interesting. <sighs> Heather Graham and Billy Zane, mm -hmm. they were both like 90s sex symbols. Yes. Yes. That's all I have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, it's, um, yeah, what, what is there to say? I think, I think Heather Graham is good as Annie. Um, I yeah. think she's believable casting as somebody who could be Norma's younger sister. Yes. Um, but I also think Annie is just loaded up with so much baggage and backstory that mm. there isn't really time to fully develop. It's kind of an underwritten character. Yeah. Underwritten and overwritten at the same time. Yeah. But, um, well, un underwritten on like, you know, in terms of like, does the dialogue reveal, mm -hmm a full three-dimensional character. Yes. But then again, some of that has to come with time. And we never really, it's like we don't get enough time. It's like she, she shows up and she's immediately plugged into the plot. Yeah, exactly. By overwritten, I'm just talking about all the stuff. Oh, she was in a convent. Oh, she may have been suicidal. Oh, she, Yeah, you know, no, that's true. It's just so much stuff about yeah, Annie. I forgot about And the, there really yeah. isn't much time to fully explore what all that means. Um and it feels a little bit, I don't know, insulting almost because there are all of these elements of Annie that show that she is yet another damaged and vulnerable young woman thrown into Cooper's path. Um, but we don't really see any of that from Annie's perspective. She's, yeah. she's a love interest. Yeah, and I don't know how much of that is the writing and how much of that is the performance. Mm. 
I'm never quite sure whether Heather Graham is just underplaying it and being subtle yeah. or or uh, missing a chance to to actually um, add sure. something to the character that yeah. may not be there on it's paper. Hard, it's hard to tell. Because I think Heather Graham could be good elsewhere. Yes. Certainly. Yeah, and she's not bad. No. But like in the scene uh, where she meets Cooper, mm-hmm. um, he... Uh, he is smitten. Yeah. That's what Kyle MacLachlan is playing. Yes, absolutely. Smitten. Sure. And she is more like noncommittal, mm-hmm. which I think is a realistic way that you yeah, might react to Cooper. Right. We, we generally don't have sizzling sexual chemistry with people the second we meet exactly. them. But there's a reason why it's fun to watch that happen on screen. And that's what Cooper and Audrey had. And that's why it was fun to watch. Well, and, and it's yeah. absent here. And I think Sherilyn Finn, I don't know if she would, she probably wouldn't have played it as, as smitten, but yeah. she might have played it as, oh, this is interesting that he's into me, uh-huh. uh, but that means I have the cards yeah. and I'm going to play with that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, right. Um, this is a more realistic performance mm-hmm. in that it's like, well, I'm, I'm working, I'm working at a diner. Yeah. This is a person I've just met. He's certainly handsome and nice, but that's uh, it. he's, He's kind of yeah mm-hmm. staring at me creepily, mm-hmm. um, but he's hot, so yeah. you know, I'm I'm kind of cool with it. Right, but there's also the fact that we don't get any, or at least I don't at this point get any sense from any of what may be realistic, not in general, but in but realistic in particular to Annie, which is she was a nun. Yeah. <laughs> um, who apparently had some kind of mental health crisis um, that involved self-abuse or um, or self-harm, rather, or suicide or something like that. And um, that might make her standoffish about a relationship right. with, man, with a man um, for all kinds of reasons. And... I kind of wish she were more yeah, exactly. guarded and more wary. Yeah, it's too much in the middle where she's yeah. not actually picking a reaction. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I wanted mm-hmm. um, to give us, if her reaction could tell us a bit about her character. Yes. Um, so I don't know. Mm-hmm. and I, uh, But I'm interested to see where it goes and mm-hmm. if, um, if she starts to... to get a better sense of this character which again is also already underwritten so i can't yeah. blame her too much mm-hmm. uh heather graham is an interesting actor as well yeah she was this sex symbol in the 90s mm-hmm. um, like very early aughts too she's right. young enough for that yeah yeah maybe uh, yeah a lot of what i think of as the 90s was actually like the year 2000 mm-hmm. <laughs> but um we did boogie nights come out boogie nights came out in 98 right yeah. And when was Austin? Well, she was in the first or the second Austin Powers? The second the one. The second one. When did yeah. that come out? Mm, early aughts, I think. Yeah. Uh, but she actually has this sort of wholesome, almost innocent quality. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that makes that is uh, put to good use here, mm-hmm. where she's supposed to be an ex nun. Yeah. Um, and and uh, and she's maybe a little vulnerable in that mm-hmm. regard, right? So, and maybe and even a little awkward. Yeah, I mean, I think that's you know, 
to kind of get off topic. That's what makes her performance in Boogie Nights so good and so effective. Um, she's so well cast there because she is a, an experienced porn star, but she has this kind of wholesome and awkward affect to her. Yeah. And so there's this kind of immediate tension between those things and an interest because of that. Yeah. And yeah. So she yeah. can, she can be very good. I'm just not sure about her here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's similar to Billy Zane. It's like, yeah. I don't know who these characters really are. And they know? just don't seem to be living in the same world as everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're not Lynchian types, mm -hmm. and that's because they're supposed to be, yeah, they're supposed to come from outside mm -hmm. to just be a normal, a nice, normal partner yeah, for right. these characters. Right, or normal enough. Yeah, I guess, yeah. Any really, yeah, she is a normal, She's a, she no. was a nun, mm -hmm. I don't know. But she's not weird in a Lynchian way. Yeah. Which I feel like I keep saying that over and over. Well, but... no, but I think it it is interesting who Lynch and Frost decided to bring back from this period of the show yeah. to the return. Um, and they they brought back Denise. Yeah. Um, but not not Annie and not John Justice Wheeler. And they could have, you know, like yeah. don't want to spoil anything about what happens to Annie. But um like there were characters who were played by actors who died before yeah. the return and they still found a way to bring them back. Yeah. Like they found a way to give us little glimpses of Josie and Jack Nance, um, Pete in the return. Yeah. We get Don Davis as a giant floating head in space. We get David Bowie as a, as a tea kettle. Yeah. Um, if, if they wanted to have these characters there in some capacity, I think they would have. Um, but I just don't think they were interested in them. We there is a little bit of Annie in um, Firewalk with Me, but mm -hmm. only a little. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's move on to Wyndham Earl. Mm -hmm. uh, we see him uh, in his cabin. Yeah. Psychologically tormenting Leo. Yeah. The performance has been dialed back a little bit. Yeah, I think that was a good choice. <laughs> yes, and it's a little more in the in the realm of Frank Booth, uh -huh. which is kind of what I said. Yeah, should, right. Where they should go with it. Uh -huh. uh, not that he can really do what Dennis Hopper did, but sure. Um, and uh, Wyndham Merrill, he he does a couple of things in this episode. Mm -hmm. Um. Some of them scarier than others. Sure. But he, uh, <laughs> he, the, he really ha gets to shine when he uh, makes himself up like an old friend of Doc Hayward. Yeah, that scene was pretty effective, I think. Yeah, it was very suspenseful. Mm -hmm. I wasn't sure if we were supposed to, to see right away that this was Wyndham Earl or mm -hmm. not. Yeah. I did, or I said, like, that's the same guy, right? Yeah, yeah. But there was enough, um, there was, it wasn't just makeup, it, or no. it wasn't just uh, hair mm -hmm. or whatever. They had some kind of, like, like pres facial prosthetics, yeah. Prosthetics. He actually looked like Jack Nance to me. Yeah. So he looked pretty different, but not so much that you couldn't tell. Mm -hmm. um, 
But I think either way, it's a very menacing scene. Yeah. And 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 felt like classic David Lynch. Yes. Because it, it just kind of, it lasts a pretty long time. Mm-hmm. And it's a kind of a quiet scene between the two of them. Yeah. But it gets more and more ominous mm-hmm. as it goes on. And it reminded me, and this is a compliment, of the last scene between Donna and Leland. Yeah. When yeah. she's starting to pick up on his bad vibes, finally. Yeah. Um, But I think Lara Flynn Boyle is very good at that kind of thing of being in a room with a man and trying to pretend that it's normal yeah while slowly coming to realize right. that it's not you'd think she would have learned a, a thing or two well <laughs> right but yeah this is a really creepy scene mm-hmm. because uh, it's Wyndham Earl yeah and he's right there in and, the house and, you and don't know we what know he's going to do. right we know he has some kind of fixation or plan that donna is involved in but we don't know what it is yeah and and by putting donna in danger uh they're making windham real scary you know it's not enough that he's scary in theory or that he kills characters that we don't know Mm -hmm. having him menace characters we know and like and that yes and maybe seem vulnerable right and i think donna seems even more vulnerable here because and this is you know just a coincidence of where the show has come to this point is that Donna has become separated from all of the characters that she was usually connected to, um, which is James, Maddie, Laura. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all gone yeah. at this point, And Donna is kind of on her own. She has her parents, um, but she really doesn't have anybody else to talk to or interact with. Yeah. And so in some ways it's a weakness of Donna's storylines in the show from this point on that there's really nothing for her to do. Mm-hmm. But it also means that if something were to put Donna in danger, it's a genuine question, okay, who's going to help Donna? Yeah. <laughs> Cuz James isn't going to, Maddie's not going to. Yeah. And the fact that Wyndham Merle is in the Hayward house. Yes. Which yes. has been a sort of haven. Although Peaks. I do think it's um, perhaps deliberate. We keep getting this shot in within the Hayward house in this episode of um, sort of over the back of that couch um, to the room behind it. That's the same one that we first saw, like oh, Bob coming yeah. at Maddie. Um, it was there. And so I think... Um, in, was that the Hayward house? Yeah. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. I Remember, because it was when right. um, they were doing that stupid song. Just you. Yeah. Um, and so I think just that that image of that yeah. room filmed in that way, it sort of makes the back of your neck prickle a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, great scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about jones yeah um this is interesting she was uh she was mr eckert's assistant Mm -hmm. and we did see her in a previous episode yes so first we see her with Catherine, and she's quite spooky yeah and she's all in black Mm -hmm. with short hair short dark hair yeah she has very pale skin Mm -hmm. it made me think of robert blake in lost highway (gasps) yeah totally she's ghostly 
Yes. Uh, can I tell if she was wearing a bra or not? Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We say that because she, <laughs> that actress was on Seinfeld and had a multi-episode arc where she did not wear a bra, but then wore a bra as a top. <laughs> so, Which caused Kramer to crash his car. Yes. Sue Ellen Mischke, the O. Henry Candy Bar heiress. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so anyway. She, she's... <laughs> a great comic there are a lot of connections between twin peaks and seinfeld which we can talk about sometime Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, so she's a great comic actress uh but here uh she's she's pretty effective Mm -hmm. as a spooky presence sure i don't think i don't really think this is gonna go anywhere Mm. um but um you know i think it's good enough for what it is the most notable thing is that she gives Catherine the black box yes which is a very lynchian again totemic image and object yeah well it's mm-hmm. it's interesting how there are so many elements here that recur in mm-hmm. the movies he made after this yeah absolutely which is another thing that makes me think he was more involved than he says mm-hmm. he was yeah she also shows up at the end of this episode she does mm-hmm. yeah but i she does I, I just i guess i just don't remember her being around the last couple of episodes Mm -hmm. so i'm not sure that they're setting up that much with this character yeah i mean there's we won't spoil it for you guys but uh there's there's stuff she does oh i i literally don't know because (laughs) uh i haven't seen most of this you're you're right in that um it doesn't really amount to much in the grand scheme yeah no at the end of this episode she climbs into bed with truman Mm -hmm. yeah for some reason at the book house for some reason um yeah, I just mean that in this episode, she is very mysterious. Yeah. It feels like there's so much potential there. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure it's going to pay off. Yeah, no, I, I feel the same way. Uh, and the black box, actually, I don't even remember what happens with the black box. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, think, I think that's the more important element. Right. right. Uh, because that comes back in the finale. Mm-hmm. So let's see. Okay, we have the log lady. Yeah. Uh, talking to Briggs. Yes. And then they go to see Cooper. Yeah, they have a mysterious connection between the two of them and the woods. Yeah, and what I like about this scene is that the log lady and Major Briggs have no idea what's going on. Yes. There were always hints that they knew things. Mm-hmm. But I like this better. That yeah. They're just as, as lost as anyone. Mm-hmm. They don't know where they went or why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're just, and they're trying to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. I like that too. Um, so we, there's a lot about the symbols. We get more of the log lady's backstory that she had some kind of encounter where she saw a bright light. Mm-hmm. Maybe she went to the white lodge or right. wherever Briggs went. Uh, or she was transported through space and time mm-hmm. the way that David Bowie was. Yeah. I walk with me. <laughs> yes. Uh, or transported to the White Lodge. I don't know. And mm-hmm. I don't think there's ever really a clear-cut answer to this. No, but I don't think so. We know that, that the log lady has been swept up in this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all, and all three of them yeah. have had these experiences. This is where... Uh, I feel like Mark Frost brings this element where it, it's very influenced by UFO stories. For sure. 
that there these three people have had this experience that mm-hmm. involved lights in the sky and lost time yeah and some kind of mark on their bodies marks on the bodies uh all they remember is an owl Mm -hmm. which is a complete reference slash ripoff of uh whitley stryber's communion yeah um because he said that he's that he saw an owl when he was abducted and Mm -hmm. uh that it was like a deliberately implanted screen memory yeah the owl was was obscuring the real memory of the alien Mm -hmm. for him. Yeah. And here it's not about aliens, but it's interesting and I think effective how they, they take a lot of these tropes Mm -hmm. and, and blend them in. Uh, But the fact that there isn't an easy answer like, Mm -hmm. Oh, an alien or UFO makes it all, all the more spookier. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Agreed. There's really nothing we can point to to Mm -hmm. say, well, what, what, why the symbols? Why the bright lights? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But that's really all we get of the White Lodge mm-hmm. for now. Um, oh, I did want to back up and just make one point about the chess game with Wyndham Earl. Yeah. Why is the Cooper looking for Wyndham Earl? I know. <laughs> I know. He's in town. Yeah. And Cooper is the world's greatest detective. And he's detective. killing people. And Cooper's whole plan is to just try to draw this chess game. Yeah. Why not go find this guy and shoot him in the head? This is this is really getting to be a serious recurring problem with Cooper, where he just lets things happen. Bob uh, even pointed it out. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and I know that it's because... The TV writers. It's just TV are, writing, like, yeah, yeah but of course. It starts to become the character. It, it does. It does. Uh, Content I mean, follows form. Yeah, like in mm-hmm. the last episode, he was fly fishing when he should have been going to meet Josie. And he so. wasn't even really fly fishing. He was practicing he was just practicing. I know. Yeah, get yeah. your head in the game, Coop. Honestly. Listen to your friend Albert. Yeah. Um. I think I said that because I was thinking of Zoolander. Where... <laughs> <laughs> Listen to your friend Albert. He's a good Listen guy. Listen to your friend Billy Zane. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, okay. Ben, speaking of Billy Zane, he is in this episode. Yeah. And, uh, saying that's kind of boring, but, mm-hmm. you know, Sherlyn Finn is good. So, yeah. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, and they kiss at the end. I don't remember even what they talk about or if it's important. I don't think it is. It isn't really. Uh, let's see. We have Nadine and Mike. Mm-hmm. They're going to do it at the hotel. Yep. Uh... And poor Mike. Like, look, <laughs> I worked at the front desk at a hotel when I was in college. Nobody cares what you do. Yeah. You can just, I mean, go to your hotel room with anybody. Yeah. We don't care. <laughs> no one cares. You don't need to put on a disguise. Really. The people working at the front desk do not get paid enough to give a shit. Yeah. I mean, well, that's not true. If if you, like, commit a crime in the room, then we'll remember. But yeah. other than that, just do what you want. Who cares? Yeah. Do you know how many local Maryland politicians I saw with prostitutes? <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we won't get it. We won't name names okay. on this program. No, we won't. We won't. Uh, I don't want to get so sued. It's... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
could be good blackmail material, mm. which we would never do. Which I would never do, certainly. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, so yeah, that's there's not really much going on on that story mm-hmm. front. Um, we have Donna spying her mother having a secret meeting with Ben Horn. Yeah, that storyline. Which I really don't like the storyline. No, I think it it comes out of nowhere. It serves no purpose. It it damages what we thought we knew about the Hayward marriage yeah. for really no reason. Yeah. And I mean, I don't I don't mind the Haywards having secrets or even necessarily this one. It's that it they don't really do anything with it, and it doesn't really seem. It really seems like something like they cooked up to yeah. fill time. Yeah, to fill time and to give yeah. Donna something yeah. to do, to give Donna something to feel bad about. Um, and it's just maybe if they had more time, they could have developed it more in a way that was satisfying. But it just seems like it's pointless. Yeah. Yep, that's mm-hmm. my take as well. Yeah. And finally, we have the this long um, fashion show set piece. Yeah. Question mark. Mm-hmm. The Stop Ghostwood Fashion Show. Yes, hosted by Dick Tremaine. For some reason. For some reason. The actor is almost seems to be playing a different character. Right. I well, mean, he's still foppish, but he's no longer an idiot, or he's at least competent enough to run a fashion show. Yeah, but it's um. He was asked to do it when he he was a clerk at a department store. Yeah, doesn't make sense. Lucy and Andy are models because they're friends with Dick Tremaine now. I and they're guess they're all friends yeah. now. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, Squiggy is there. Squiggy is back. He's moved on from his job selling um, accessibility equipment to. Um, provide home-based care for disabled people and now he is some kind of animal rights guy or he's an i thought he was like the animal handler the animal handler yeah because he's got the he's got the pine weasel which gets loose and causes i think a disproportionate amount of mayhem yeah it's just a weasel Mm mm-hmm but people like there's there's this one woman standing on a table like screaming it's a saber-toothed tiger on the loose in the great northern ballroom yeah so i generally like this episode but thought that this ending was just too it was goofy. very silly like they should have had yakety set <laughs> i know i know yeah uh, yeah or it um this is a reference no one will get but uh it reminded me of this uh Ray Stevens song, this like Christian joke mm-hmm. musician uh-huh. <laughs> was big in the 90s uh, about a squirrel that gets loose in a church at a like church revival. Okay. It's just, it's, you're right. Nobody gets that. No one will get that, but that's the level of humor that we're talking sure. about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, isn't it funny if a wild animal gets loose at like a, an event where everyone is dressed to the nines? Right. And, uh, and then everyone freaks out, and mm-hmm. it's a lot of fun. Yes. I don't think there's anything else we really need to cover, um, but I thought these two episodes were pretty strong. Mm-hmm. I definitely had a lot of fun. Yes, especially after the nader, what I hope is the nader of the yeah. season. No, I think it is. I think it is. There's some There's some good stuff yeah. coming up. Mm-hmm. And we're getting to the episodes, uh, to a stretch of episodes where I've seen bits and pieces of them. Mm-hmm. 
like this last episode, I think we had watched that together yeah. previously. Yeah. And it didn't make much of an impression on me then, but mm-hmm. uh, really I didn't have the context. I sure. Think. Um, so I'm excited. Yeah. Me too. Me too. Uh, all right. Well, we will see you in a couple of weeks for episodes 18 and 19. We're getting to the end. Yep. Yeah. But then, you know, of course we'll do Firewalk with me. We'll probably mm-hmm. do an episode on the Log Lady intros. Um, yeah. Maybe, you know, something on Twin Peaks, The Missing Pieces, which is the stuff that was cut from Firewalk with me before we get into season three. But we're probably going to take a break. Yes. After the season finale. Yeah, definitely. Um, for various reasons. For various reasons. We're having a baby. I mean, I know we said the podcast comes first, but yeah, that was a joke. Yeah, oh, you're lifting the veil here. Sorry. You're breaking kayfabe. Sorry. Yeah, this is a shoot. We... <laughs> <laughs> Brian and Caroline are characters that we play. Yeah. Is, we're getting into the real shit. My name's Maureen. <laughs> anyway, um, we'll see you guys in a couple of weeks. But for now, we wish you nothing but the very best in all things. Bye.
Thanks so much for listening. We are expecting to release new episodes of It's Not About the Bunny every two weeks. So if you like what you've heard and you want to keep listening, please subscribe uh, wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a nice rating and review. If you don't like what you're hearing, that's cool, but please, please keep it to yourself. Bye.